Tungohan, an associate professor of politics at York University. Welcome to Academic Anties. Oh, advice. It seems like you can't turn a corner without someone telling you how you're professoring or grad schooling wrong. Sometimes it's a colleague. Sometimes it's a random person on social media. Sometimes it's sought for, but usually it's unsolicited. On this episode, we're breaking down academic advice. What makes for good advice? And why is bad advice so bad? And why is it that so much academic advice assumes that we're all cis-het white guys? To talk about academic advice, I'm very pleased to have Dr. Shanti Fernando, that is Shanti Auntie for you, and Dr. Shule Tompkinson, that's Shule Teze. Shanti Auntie, Shule Teze, thanks so much for being here today. How about we start by introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm um, Shanti Fernando. I'm at uh uh, in the political science program at uh, Ontario Tech University uh, in Oshawa. Um, and yeah, do um, some migrant research, which is how I got to know Ethel. Um, yeah, and an uh, associate professor, so a little bit sort of into my career. Looking forward to looking back on it a little bit today. So I'm Shula Tomkinson. I'm an associate professor at Department of Political Science at Université Laval in Quebec City. I'm extremely excited to be here with you today. I guess one of my first questions is, what is the role of advice in academia? I think to me, the role of advice should be, um, should be mentorship, um, but also that you should give advice when it's solicited not unsolicited advice because giving all sorts of unsolicited advice, like maybe people don't want, you know, then you feel almost like you're being policed a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think good advice is also recognizing um, the person that you're talking to, their positionality. Um, so giving it specific to them, not this some sort of universal advice um, and that you're, you are actually being kind and trying to help them. Mm-hmm. I find bad advice especially comes when people offer it as if it is universal without recognizing their own privileges. When we give advice, it comes from our own experience, right? But it does not mean that it is going to be valid for everyone. Uh, I mean, the other day I shared an example of bad advice, like this professor in a a prestigious university was telling graduate students that they should be giving reasonable explanations if they are asked (laughs) to review articles, if they're asked to do peer review. Otherwise, it is unimaginable because they never did so, right? I mean... Why would graduate students who do not even know if they will work in a university or not should feel the need to justify themselves? Why should they undertake this free labor? For what reason? Absolutely. You know what? I'm trying to find that, actually, because it was so appalling. Like, you know, it was basically so I can't find the tweet, but it was basically um, this you know, economist at an Ivy League institution who was chastising, I guess, graduate students for just rejecting review invitations and basically saying you can't reject an invitation 
without giving a reason for why. And they're telling this to graduate students, right? (laughs) Like who, you know, have to balance so many things in order to finish their dissertations, who probably have to TA, um, who also, you know, shouldn't have to take on this labor when their goal should be to get through the program. Shanti, Auntie, have you had bad advice given to you that actually has been harmful? Um, I think... um as a um, as a junior faculty, I was sort of told, "Oh, well, you know, um, you need to do um, a lot of service, which you know you shouldn't really be doing tons of service when you're junior." But I did a lot of service as a junior faculty um, because somehow it was going to teach me something. It was going to you know get me very involved in my faculty and whatever. It just made me very tired and didn't give me time to do other things, um, and it didn't really helped me. And, you know, I'm good at service, but it's not like, you know, it's not a big value added for me. And then I wasn't actually, then I, when I came up for tenure, you know, they're basically saying like, oh, you did too much service. And of course the Dean and the, you know, I had been told to do lots of service and then they're just like, well, you did too much service. Um, you know, um, so it's, it, that was definitely bad advice. And also that came back to, um, bite me. And actually, I was also told not to apply for shirt grants because it was too hard um, and to just use existing data sets. And I'm just like, what existing data sets would I like? I don't, what am I using? So then I did apply for shirks. I did get a few shirks before I I got tenure. Um, and it was mentioned to me by senior faculty and uh, that saying, oh, you shouldn't, you know, oh, you ignored that advice. You shouldn't have ignored that advice. So I was being kind of penalized for getting SHRCs. So for our listeners, uh, SHRC stands for the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, which uh, for people of the social sciences in Canada, it's our main source of funding. You know what? This is actually making me a little bit upset, but also making me kind of reach another epiphany, which is that sometimes people who give you advice don't have your interests at heart. Oh, they did not. I only found out afterwards that it was somebody who hadn't themselves gotten grants. So they were, I guess, you know, didn't want me to be, and then was mad because then I got grants and I went against their advice. So yes, I was kind of, you know, but it was horrible. Actually, someone reached out to me after we publicized, like what bad and good advice you received, right? A former student. And which made me think, like actually not no advice in some situations is as bad as bad advice. So mm. the situation she explained to me was like, it was like screaming into the void, the way they were trying mm. to communicate with their advisor from trying to get feedback to how to do certain things and just receiving no feedback at all or just being left to their own devices. This is a perfect segue, actually, to one thing we were talking about, um, which is that, uh, you know, a lot of women of color, a lot of uh, people of color have been, you know, taken a, taking up the role as, as shadow advisors, right? Because of the lack of support given to students and to junior faculty, um, a lot of people of color, women of color have become the default advice givers, I have observed that in my own institution and I've heard it from other colleagues. 
let's say a senior, often male professor, accepts a student, the supervisor student. And then when they notice actually that student needs quite a bit of support, they just decide to not supervise the student anymore. Either yes. they either ghost them, right? Or they clearly say yeah. to the student that I'm not going to supervise you, find yourself someone else. And, and most of the time, I mean, I personally sometimes find myself overwhelmed with trying to help these students, right? And then you say to yourself, but I mean, no, I had I had scheduled these two hours to write. I was not going to actually meet students. But then you are like, but no, one of my roles, one of my most important roles that I gave to myself is actually help students who are unrepresented, right? Who are deserving, mm. but who cannot find themselves in... In, in the academia because they are not getting the support they actually deserve. So it is a constant struggle for for people who are also underrepresented as faculty. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I think one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of students, and honestly, teaching, I mean, I'm not saying this to be corny, right? Um, teaching at my institution has given me the greatest joy, right? I didn't expect that this would be the case because I've taught in other institutions, predominantly white institutions, where I've had students actually tell me, because I'm Filipina, that I remind them of their nannies, right? Like, as their TA, which... I don't even, I can't really unpack that right now, but I find that at my current institution, which predominantly has uh, immigrant students, first-generation students, I find that I'm making a lot of connections with students. That's the greatest joy. What that means, though, is because uh, I'm one of the few faculty of color in my department, um, a lot of the students who are majority people of color look at me for support. And oftentimes, I'm happy to give that support but it's also emotionally draining because through their stories you you understand how fucked up the academy can be right you realize how it's just so it can be so heartless so students who um have have to take care of their their siblings while their parents are working essential jobs during COVID, right? And they're trying really hard to get on top of schoolwork, but then they're kind of managing all of this, um, you know, while also still applying to, trying to apply to grad school, but because of their pressures, their grades may not be as high, right? I don't know. I just feel like it's it's tough. And I understand why people of color as faculty members are relied on for support. But I'm, I'm also exhausted. I don't know if Shanti Auntie has had the same experiences. Um, I, I, I have. And it's in its strange. It's not just, um, you know, my racialized students. It's other students, too, because they're mm. more likely to come to me than, a, you know, a male professor. Right. Like, you know, academic mommy has to be like, you know, nice mommy who takes care of you and academic daddy. Um, has to, you know, well, he's tough and he's strong and well, you know, it's just he has those standards. But like, mommy, why aren't you helping me, mommy? You know, so I get, I get the, I get the, that. And I really try to unmom myself a little bit, um, not to be, you know, I, I certainly help students. And even now I have students who contact me, um, but to try to make sure that, you know, I also send people to counseling or I send people to advising or I send people to supports like other things um, so that it's not all on me. 
I'm so conflicted on this, right? Like you want to be a good support person for students. You want to be a good professor for students. But on the other hand, the expectations that are foisted on you as a woman of color is disproportionately bigger and harder to meet compared to your male colleagues. I was so mad two years ago. I was co-teaching this course with two male colleagues, one much less junior who was still a PhD student, another colleague from a different department who was senior. Students would come to me with their problems and we are teaching the class together. I mean, we are co-teaching. We are at a cool position. Why are you coming to me? And so when I shared that with some other students, my graduate students, they were like, well, because you are nice, you are a caring person. I'm like, yeah, sure, I know I am, but I don't want to be constantly, I don't want to be the person who's shouldering the burden yes. all the time, right? No, yeah. So do I... It's hard, yeah. Yeah, do I, do I have a solution? Not necessarily, but I spoke to my colleagues and I said, you have to tell the students that if they have a problem, they should be writing to you as well. If, if they're going to write to me, they have to be putting you in CC as well. And we are going to divide the task of responding to student emails and supporting them weekly. I don't mind. That is fine. But I cannot, I cannot, do, the, all the, I cannot do all the work. And how did that turn out? Like, did your colleague like help out like was that they, a good solution they were okay they were okay with it and it it worked for that term but again i mean whenever the the whenever if we are i, I am the single woman it repeats itself again yeah i have such a conflictual kind of i don't know thought I, like i don't know i'm conflicted on this right because on the one hand you know, I go back to Shanti Auntie's kind of comment, you know, the advice is to be a man, right? And to protect our time, I guess we could just kind of be bad mommy <laughs> and be like, I don't, I don't give a shit about your stories. You know, I am here to teach, right? Um, I am here to lecture, you know, uh, who cares, right? But that doesn't square with kind of my pedagogical approach and who I am as a person. But on the other hand, then we're kind of overloaded with work, right? So the advice be a man doesn't quite work in that way. But how do we then protect our time knowing that, you know, the time we're spending with emotional labor um, could be time we could be spending on writing and researching? Exactly, exactly. But then I think of some of my my male colleagues. I would not go for it. I would not go to them for advice. I mean, not, not at all. Why not? not at all. <laughs> Why? Like they are socially awkward. I do not want to be on the same table with them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, you know what? <laughs> That's true. Like, I, yeah, no, I mean, we could name names. But I'm like, I really don't need like advice from, you know, awkward cishet white guy there. Like, cause I think, <laughs> you know, no, no. <laughs> point taken. Um, I do want to kind of spend a little bit of time um, since we did have uh, social media posts about this. So we're going to try this first time in Academic Anties where we're going to play a game. Um, and so I am opening uh, this document which lists uh, some of the pieces of advice that people have shared with us on social media. Um, so folks, just uh, our listeners, check out at 
academic ante uh, to see some of these tweets. Um, and we're going to, I'm just going to name some of the pieces of advice given. And I'm going to ask our beloved aunties here, is this good advice or is this bad advice? All right. So example number one, be careful about speaking out before you have tenure. Good advice or bad advice? Bad, bad advice. Bad advice. Bad advice. Why? Bad advice. Well, if you're waited, you're not going to talk after either. If you have seen mm. something, if you have seen something bad and you you said to yourself, oh, no, I should not because it is going to impact my. No, no. If you're unhappy, I mean, no, you should speak your mind. You're a colleague. Absolutely. I mean, Shanti, Auntie, what do you think? Good advice or bad yeah, advice? It's, it's bad advice because all the people I know who said nothing before tenure also say nothing after tenure. Another another thing uh, that I saw and I wanted to get feedback on is this. Go where the jobs are. If you're not willing to move to a remote location for an academic job, don't bother. Bad advice or good advice? Don't bother what? Don't bother being an academic? Is that what they meant? I guess so. It's like... You know, if you don't apply for everything, then you're not serious about being an academic. That depends on 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 people's also positionality. So I think it's bad advice because you don't know. I mean, I have moved places for jobs, but I mean, you know, I think you have to think of, do people have partners? Do they have ill parents? Like, what do they have? You know, they can't just, you can't just tell people, oh, you just have to have a mobile life. Um, that's not, that's not being very understanding of people's positionality. Not at all. I mean, sure, you can say you cannot expect a position to open at the university that you desire in your own city. Sure, you can say that because who knows, right? But be ready to go wherever. Yeah, I don't agree with that. So I think we're saying mm, probably bad advice from our perspectives, given our positionalities. Um, okay, so another one that I had highlighted uh, is the following. Um, uh, just say no. Say no. Say no. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 the thing is, it's, it's very vague because I'm always, <laughs> people are always saying that. Just say no. I mean, what does that even mean? Um, but I, I am certainly saying no to more things than I, I did before. Um, but I think just say no might be too broad. Maybe just say, be more choosy about what, you know, and, and take up, take some things into account before. Don't immediately, more like don't immediately say yes. That's better. Mm. That's Rather better. Than, than, than say, than say, just say no, but don't immediately say yes to everything. Cause sometimes, especially as junior faculty, you're like, Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can be on that committee. Oh, I can do that thing for you. Oh, I could do that review. Oh, I can help with that, which was me. So just, I'm just doing an impression of myself, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> which was easy. Um, it's like, <laughs> uh, but, um, like think about it first. Don't, don't give an automatic yes think about, you know, do you have time? Do you have, you know, is this something important? You know, so, so it's more, don't automatically say yes, but just saying no, I mean, you can't say no to everything. I mean, exactly. What I started doing is like when people ask me to do things, either sitting in a committee or taking part in a research project, it's like, what is the topic? Am I, am I interested in this topic? Like, do I want to contribute? And then like the target, what is the objective? Like, 
there are many committees where we are not actually sure what what the committee is trying to achieve, right? And then, so the task, what, what am I supposed to do? What will be my contribution to this? And do I, do I want to do it? Am I willing to do it? And then finally, the time, like how long is this going to take? Is it just an ad hoc meeting and then it was going to be done? Or will this require a regular slot on my, on my agenda for a long time? And then only afterwards, if it is all, I'm happy with all these answers, then I'm like, okay, I can say yes. But as, as Antishanti said, it took me two years to get to that. I was ready to say yes, yes, yes. Then I was about to go through a burnout. Then I said, no, I cannot. I cannot. Absolutely. And if you say yes to everything, then what if an invitation that is actually meaningful comes to you when you can't say yes to it? Because you've said no, you've said yes to everything else, right? Uh, so second to the last one, you should try to get a supervisor who is a big name in the field. Their letters are important. No. Head shakes, head shakes. No. Why? No, definitely not. I mean, I have seen some star supervisors, star profs advising their students really well. Um, but it doesn't mean it is the case. I mean, you, again, we are universalizing, right? What did we say? Do not yeah. universalize. <laughs> Do not universalize. <laughs> if I mean, try to learn what kind of person they are. Speak to their former students, for example. I mean, are they? Do they give them opportunities? How do they feel working with this person? Uh, what do their former students do? So it doesn't, your supervisor doesn't have to be a star. I mean, they could be a star, but that shouldn't be your um, main criteria. I think it's, um, are they, do they have a good rep with working with students? Um, are they a nice person? Are they sort of a kind, nice person? Um, I know that um, there have been some sort of big stars who were just yeah terrible to their students. Um, so it's like, is that a nice person? Is that somebody who's going to give you their time? Um, and also somebody you just sort of click with a little bit, you know? Um, so, you know, meeting with them. So I think their personality and if they're, they're sort of good to students, I think is more important than if they're a big name. Cause a big name can be, exactly. can also give you zero help. Exactly. They exactly. might, they might give you help, but maybe they don't give you anything. I know. I liked, I like that big name better because I'm the kind of, I'm the person who always rolls her eyes when we talk about the star. What is the star? That star is always a white man for some reason. I feel like academia has this hero worship tendency where it's like, come on, you know, let's, <laughs> you know, we all shit at night, right? Or well, I don't know, during the day, <laughs> I don't know what the expression is. Like we're all human beings is what I'm trying to say, right? Like let's not venerate people as gods no. because then we kind of become less aware of, of other people doing meaningful work, right? Um, here's the final one. And I actually will see what you think. We should not sacrifice it all just to stay in academia. Um, and uh, academia is not the gold standard. Good advice. Yes, great advice. advice. Great advice. I mean, it is a job. Sure, it is. there are many things that I love about my job. I love spending time with my students in the classroom. I love discussing with them. I love having a certain kind of autonomy. But it's a job. There are many other jobs that can make you happy where you can you can realize your value and get paid well. And it's not for everyone, right? I mean, mm. I have certain um, colleagues who are always like, 
you know, go to grad school, go to grad school, go to grad school to every single, um, you know, undergrad student. I give lots of different, and I just say, well, you, here are some things you could do. Um, yeah, grad school is an option, sure. Um, but academic, you know, so I don't even sort of sl- try to make undergrads go into grad school. And certainly even um, when I was a PhD student, there are a lot of times where I thought, mm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not. And even after my first job, I was thinking, yeah, I might leave. Um, it isn't the be all and end all. Um, it can be great. I mean, I like my job, but it also, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And there are all, there's, there are other lives. I I love that. I mean, I think it's a job and also, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, who leave academia feel so guilty as well uh, because I feel like we have been indoctrinating everyone to think that academia is not a job. It's actually a calling, right? So we have to relinquish everything, our time, our health for this profession, um, this calling. And I think that's fostered a lot of really unhealthy behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, like Antishanti was giving the example of people trying to encourage students to do graduate studies. I have been observing it a lot too. It's like, okay, come on, come on. We want students to come in. And then what do we do for these students? How do we support them? How do we support them? We don't, we don't do enough then what is the point of bringing bringing these students in? Absolutely. And I honestly think, and I think this actually merits another episode, uh, it is our job to be honest, especially to our graduate students, about the prospects of an academic career, right? Um, not to say that you want to discourage people from pursuing that, but to be honest about, you know, the job market and prospects and, you know, um, things that people have to account for, right? Exactly. What are uh, some of the worst advice that you've gotten and some of the best advice? So let's start with worst advice. Choose a topic that is clearly political science, otherwise people will not know where to place you. And why is that bad advice? Because choose a topic that has value to you. Choose a topic that you want to pursue, that you want to work on in several years. Otherwise, I know you will not let others to choose something for you just because they said so that that is a that 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 created debate for the last few years i don't care if i don't want to work on it what is the point i think that's that's such amazing insight on your part because i think a lot of students feel that they have to choose a topic that's hot right in fact some journals i was going to i went to a workshop where there were there was this journal editor for a big 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 name journal and they have this hot list and not hot list of topics and hot methods and not hot methods and as someone who was like in the not hot list it's kind of like vogue magazine right i'm like what like what is this <laughs> like not hot bell bottoms hot hoodies like come on man shanty ante worst advice you've ever gotten uh don't tear, turn your phd into a book um turn it into don't articles your, why not <laughs> i don't know and i don't even know how I would, like how do you make it into articles like i don't even know what articles i'm gonna get out of my PhD and I turned it into a book, UBC Press, called Race in the City. Um, and uh, it was, I think, I'm very proud of it. Um, I got a lot of praise for it. It was a very good book. Um, but yeah, uh, there were lots of people, people who were at that time, the senior people in my first job who said, 
no, you can't, you shouldn't do that again, unsolicited. Um, and I said, no, I'm going to do it. And, um, and you know, I turned out very well, but I don't understand like why. And also they said this to me when I actually got like UBC offered me, like came to me. I didn't even go to them. What? They came to me because they wanted Asian Canadian, um, for their Asian Canadian studies. Thing. And like, why would I not do that? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. So it was terrible advice. That's awful. I'll share one of the worst pieces of advice uh, that I've received as well. Um, and, it is, and this is in the context of like preparing for jobs and for your job talk, right? Basically, the advice is, you know, diminish your femininity, yes. right? And so I tried talking with a lower register because like... Okay, see, I'm seeing likes now, but but because you wanted to have, you know, uh, you, you wanted to sound more authoritative, right? Like put yes. on a power suit, just kind of, you know, <laughs> just just be a man, <laughs> you know, just just like wear the suit, talk deeper, um, you know, just kind of perform in a way uh, that we've kind of stereotyped, like male cishet white male professors is doing, and and that just didn't work because I don't. I don't talk like that. Like I, I use hand gestures. I'm excited about my research. I've been told that I get too excited about my research and I'm just like, why? I love my research. My research is fantastic. <laughs> I was told this actually at a job interview on a, uh, it was a terrible job interview that I was what? on. They said that in the interview. Oh God, I've had such terrible, this is an, this, <laughs> this could be another episode, all the shitty things you've heard during interviews. Um, and one shitty thing was this guy said, you'll never get a job with a voice like that. Wow. Wait, I'm in shock. Wait, what? This was someone interviewing you? Yeah, when you know, when you have like, you're sort of like friendly time, coffee time with the people, they're like, oh, you're never going to get a job with a voice like that, which what I don't even fuck? know what that, I, I, I don't even know. What but it was also, a, an, I have also been asked in interviews what my parents did, uh, what my religion was. Uh, yeah, so you, you can get some crazy things happening to you at interviews. I'm so sorry. That's awful. Um, okay, but let's pivot to the best advice you've received. Best advice. <laughs> my my best advice, like teaching advice, was because I was very nervous. Um, I'm, I was a very nervous public speaker. And the first time I ever sort of was um, going to give actually a, uh, a conference, a big conference presentation during my PhD, and I carried this then into my actual teaching, um, I phoned my mom. <laughs> Um, who, and I was like, mommy, I know what it is. It's going to be terrible. I can't believe I have to get him. And so she said, okay, just do your speech for me. Um, do your lecture, whatever. And I sort of started to do my talk and she said, well, that, uh, you know, just, uh, you're a very, you are a nervous public speaker. You know that, um, but this is your work. I mean, you can get mm -hmm. up and have a conversation. So, cause you're a nervous speaker, but you're actually, not a nervous person in a social situation. So just treat it like a conversation. That's awesome. How about you? And I, mean, you I would say two things. One is related to that, uh, which I apply to my teaching and say to everyone as well, this nervousness that comes with the model, the classical model we have that the sage on the stage that, that teaches yep. this authoritative person. So when I go into my classroom, it doesn't matter. They can be undergrad, they can be PhD students. It's like, I'm not the sage on the stage. I'm a facilitator. We are going to learn mm. together. There are things that I know more than you. There are other things that you know more than me. We're going to learn together. 
that's and 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 the students' behavior, the body language, everything changes and everything works much better. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, not necessarily like know your limits. Sure, you want to help in different areas. It can be your colleagues, it can be your students. Um, but don't try to do everything. I mean, you cannot you cannot shoulder the burden of the world, the burden of the academia. So choose wisely. Choose things that have value to you. Again, comes to this meaningfulness. Choose things that have value to you. I, I sometimes hear from from listeners being like, "How do you know what you value? <laughs> do you is is it just do you use your gut then, aunties? Like what? Like how do you know? I mean. <sighs> I mean, guts and where you feel happiest, I guess. I mean, to yeah, me, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. it takes a while to develop, though. I think I only probably really started to develop it much more recently. Um, and it's it's also doing your own work, you know, doing, like, really looking inside yourself for, for you know, what's important in your life, what gives your life meaning. Because it's, it's a hard job. You know, we're, we're doing a hard job. Um, I like what I do, but it's hard. Um, so if I'm going to work this hard, it should be on something meaningful to me. As Ethel was, uh, Ethel was talking about being a people pleaser, I think I, what I used to value was making other people happy. Yes. Um, so now I'm trying to make myself happy, and that's about the meaningfulness. So I think now I'm trying to value when I think the work I do will help people as well. So I think that's that's also what's what's a value to me now. And and yeah, not not actually just trying to make other people happy. You know what? I mean, we're laughing, but it's hard, right? Because then it's actually really revolutionary to prioritize our needs and what makes us happy because we're so indoctrinated into trying to to please other people. And it seems as though both of you were saying maybe take some time to reflect and think about what really matters. And, and I would say that again the probably the best again the second piece of best advice I got was to also just not um, care so much what other people thought about you. I've taken up so much of your time, both of you. Uh, Before we end, would both of you like to share your Twitter handle so folks listening can keep up with with stuff that you're thinking um i'm on twitter um uh, at shanti fernando so not, not a particularly exciting handle um just my name um shanti fernando and shuli Teze, do you have twitter yes i have twitter please let's connect it is my name as well and if you start typing on google shule s-u-l-e and then t i am going to be the first person who is coming up thank you so much this was really great. Academic advice, while well-intentioned, oftentimes does not take into account the specificities of people's individual circumstances. Such advice can also sometimes uphold academia's unjust power structures. Ultimately, it's up to you to decide whether to follow the advice that you've been given. Advice is like a buffet. You take what you want and leave the rest behind. Go with your gut. And that's Academic Antis for this month. As always, we are so thankful for the kind notes you sent us. It's really heartwarming to know that this podcast is resonating with you. And we would love even more people to listen, so please spread the word. Please tweet at us or about us. Share our podcast on Facebook. We'd also love to hear from you. You can reach us at, at AcademicAnti on Twitter and AcademicAnties.com. 
Today's episode of Academic Aunties was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tunkohan, and produced by myself and Wayne Chu. Tune in next time when we talk to more Academic Aunties. Until then, take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole.